0: Now, we'd like to do a one-minute interview, literally a one-minute interview. I don't think many of you have met Simon before. So, Simon Thomas, name suggests possibly a Welsh connection. Absolutely. My middle name is also Gareth, which makes it even stronger. So. <laughs> Born in the beautiful Welsh city of Bristol. <laughs> it's as close as I could get. And I understand you've moved around a little bit. Someone told me Swindon. Yep, Swindon was home for me. Um, woo! Uh, Big big up for the Swindon massive. Uh, Yeah, so uh, I learned to drive on something called the Magic Roundabout. And if you've ever been to Swindon, you'll know it or been petrified upon it normally. And uh, yeah, so we moved there in the weekend of the big storm of October 87. And uh, I went to university in Southampton in... 1996, so yeah, lived in Swindon in that time. Brilliant, and you're married, have a family? I am, and I do. Um, Jenny is my wife, we've been married uh, since 2002, so it's our 15th wedding anniversary on July the 13th. Yeah, (laughs) boys, just make notes. Uh, And we've got two children, a daughter Bethan, uh, Bethan Keris, again, the Welsh connection. Um, She is nine, and our son Samuel, Samuel Gethin, uh, is seven. Brilliant. My favorite films are The Fugitive and Gladiator. Sorry to hear that. Let's laugh at yours now. You can, but of course, there really is only one answer for that, that which we've celebrated this week, that which is 40 years old this year. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, the greatest film known to humanity is Star Wars. Mm, Good it is. Anyway, great. Well, it's great to have you with us. We know God's laid stuff on your heart to share. So, over to you. God bless you. Thank Thank you you. very much. Cool. I just I didn't know whether to stand up or go down. It's like I just do it, both. it's all good. Okay. To be honest, I will be moving around a fair deal, so that's good. Well, it is lovely uh, to be with you. I travelled up from Plymouth this morning, uh, part of the leadership team there at Redeemer Church, and it's great to be with you, and uh, great to be back in Paul. It's been a little while. Uh, My grandparents used to live locally, and so we spent a lot of time here, uh, in particular, uh, enjoying ourselves, standing by the waterfront. Um, My mum does, in fact, own several quantities of large quantities of pool pottery, uh, and so we're trying to spend lots of time here. Uh, sadly though, uh, my papa, uh, my grandfather died at the time about I was in university, so the late 90s really, and since that time that my papa's died, since the time that we spent a lot of time in this neck of the woods, the world, I don't know if you've noticed, has changed somewhat. When I started university, as I mentioned, in 1996, we were given this new thing which was very exciting. It was called electronic mail. And what it would mean is that you would sit in a room of your friends and you would essentially write a message to them on your Sun computer, because that's what we had in those days, and you would send them this message and instantly it would appear on the screen in front of them next to you. And so you can have this wonderful conversation with them. Fortunately, things have changed since then. Send. Oh, <laughs> now, as I say, the world has really changed in that time from email. We're now into the world of social media and Instagram. In my papa's name, it was less Instagram and more kisser. But we kind of had those moments. Working on a kisser. There we go, kids. Just for you to keep up, that would be really helpful at this moment. Uh, moving on. Uh, so uh, the world really has changed, particularly in the last couple of years, where this whole kind of instantaneous reporting of all things happens. The Brexit campaign and the presidential elections in America really were the kind of the starting points of these things, where the second someone had said something, it had been tweeted across the world. And as a result of that, something emerged, again particularly out of the American elections, which was quite interesting, this notion or phenomena of alternative facts. Donald Trump's aide, Kellyanne Conway, speaking the day after the reporting of uh, Donald Trump's inauguration, where it had been reported that it was the world's biggest inauguration, that the biggest attendance figures of all time were recorded for this. Unfortunately, no one seemed to have told the people who were recording the figures, which didn't seem to quite marry up with this. And in fact, they were later said, we hadn't lied about the numbers, we had simply provided... Alternative facts. (laughs) Alternative facts is an interesting term. It's a very helpful thing. It plays into the imagination. It's an excellent alibi or even excuse. But essentially, the world has been and continues to be full of alternative facts. You can just switch on any independent television station and you will find alternative facts there will be one shampoo that tells you this is the greatest shampoo known to humanity and will wonderfully and instantly clean things the way that no other shampoo has until you get to the next advert where the same thing is told to you by a different manufacturer. Or you can kind of get to the point where this is the greatest car you could ever drive or even the greatest film ever made, The Fugitive But actually, the real truth over here, when you see the entire Star Wars pantheon, which is clearly better. Anyway, you're going to have these alternative facts. This is better. No, this is better. Every single person, it seems to be telling you their version of the truth. And I want to suggest to you and propose to you today that in this world where truth might be perceived as alternative, that there is one unvarying, unshifting, ever-present always true truth, the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the eternal Son of God, Jesus Christ. That to make the best of life, to to have the clearest understanding of what life really is all about, we need to encounter Jesus. And to encounter Jesus and to know Jesus means there is one obvious source that we can turn to, one of these a Bible. A Bible that as you kind of flick through the pages of it, you start to uncover a little bit more of the person of Jesus. We're going to read a section of the Bible today. It's going to be from an eyewitness to the life of Jesus, a person called John. And in John chapter 8, we read this, and the words will be up on the screen behind me. It sort of says in John chapter 8, starting at verse 28. So, Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we're Abraham's descendants, and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins, we'll explain what that is in a moment, is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So, key verse. If the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. I know that you're Abraham's descendants, yet even now you're looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. Now, of course, I've just stood here and I've given our little Kellyanne Conway, I've given our little shampoo example on our car and our film example. Different people claim many different things and use different evidence to back up their alternative facts. So for you, maybe this morning, as we've read something of the Bible, as we've started to kind of flick through the pages of it, you just think, but to be honest, Simon, the Bible, it's not really anything to do with me. I'm I'm not a big fan of it. To be honest, I'm not even sure if we've got one in the house. And if we do, it's probably kind of keeping a door open or leveling a table out somewhere. The Bible is just dry and dusty words, boring stories, irrelevant poetry. It's all full of these and thous and rules and regulations. And to be honest, I don't really want any part of it. Maybe you're here today and you think this book that these Christians believe in and that you're reading to me is a fanciful work of fiction, no better than the work of J.K. Rowling or Charles Dickens or anything like that. But maybe you're someone here today who does think the opposite of that. You would say that this book is life-giving, life-transforming. That the the words that we can see in it and read in it have completely and utterly changed and transformed your life. I hope that whichever side of the fence you sit on, as we open these kind of pages of the story in the book today, I hope that what you're going to find is that actually this thing will (laughs) really... I'm hoping that really as we kind of look into these things, that the words will really come alive for you today. It set fire to the guys at the back. (laughs) It's just a cool little trick. (laughs) Don't clap. It's fine. Anyway, (laughs) this morning as we open the pages of the Bible, I'm hoping that what's going to happen is as we look at these words that we just read in John 8, I really am hoping that they are going to bring to life to you. Where's the fire alarms? Just check. I did do this in a church a little while ago, and just as I did that, the front door opened and it went, beep, 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 I was like, oh, in those moments. I'm hoping that the words that we speak will really come alive for you today. This morning, we've called this meeting Breakout. I'm hoping that what we're unpacking is that you're going to break out this morning from untruth and into truth. To break out from the past and into the future. To break out from the impact and injury caused by some of life's moments. And to encounter today a life-giving, joy-bringing, truth-revealing, life-fulfilling, all-powerful, almighty and all-merciful living God. That's my prayer for you today. And this morning, if like me, maybe this is your first time in this church, and you're here and you're sort of thinking, I'm not sure about this. Someone's invited me along, and they've invited me to all the other people, and you know, I've finally given in to them, and I'll come and just make do, and then they won't ask me back again, and all that kind of stuff. Maybe you're here this morning, maybe you've been in this church for a, a little while now, maybe you've come along to a course that they've run here, or maybe you come to a job club, or whatever it is, and, and you kind of, you've been hovering around circles, but you, kind of, you wouldn't really consider yourself to be yet one of them. This morning is entirely about you. This morning, at the end of our talk, in just a, a short while, I'm going to pray a very simple prayer. It's going to be a prayer of commitment to Jesus, a prayer of saying, yeah, I'm going to start a new life with you, God. And what we're going to do at the end is we're going to, I'm going to ask everybody here to close their eyes. The only people who are going to have their eyes open are me, and I've asked the eldership team here and the leadership team to keep their eyes open just so that they can help understand what happens next. But with everyone's eyes closed, I'm going to pray a very simple prayer that says, I want to begin a relationship with Jesus. And if you pray that prayer along with me, with everyone's eyes closed at the end of the meeting, I'm going to ask you to do something ridiculously brave. I'm going to ask you, whilst everyone's eyes is closed, except for mine and the leadership team here, after we've prayed that prayer, I'm going to ask you where you are just to stand up. Now, the reason I'm going to ask you to do something like that, something big, is because you can't be a Christian and keep it quiet. You can't have your life changed by God for all eternity and just sit there quietly twiddling your thumbs. You have to live a different life as a result of that. And that's why I want you to be so serious and so sure that you want to start that journey that you would be willing to stand up. Everyone's eyes are going to be closed. This is just between you and God's to show that you're serious about this commitment. It also means that the the leadership team here, as I then kind of disappear off to the next meeting, the guys here and the girls here can make sure that they know and can chat with you at the end of the service to make sure that you're starting the next step of your journey well, okay? So I just want to explain that, then I'll get you to sit down, and then we'll all open our eyes, okay? So that's what is happening. Just going to tell you that now so when we get there, it doesn't surprise you too much, all right? But that's what I'm going to be asking and expecting of people. So this morning, I am expecting God to move. I'm expecting God to change lives. That's why I've been tweeting and Facebooking in the last couple of days saying, this is my expectation that God is going to do something today. Because I'm believing in God for breakthrough as well as break out. So this morning, we're going to look at what it means to break out from guilt, first of all. Guilt, as Wikipedia tells us, is a cognitive or emotional experience that occurs When a person compromises his or her own standards of conduct or has violated a moral standard and bears significant responsibility for that. (laughs) If, like me, you need something a little bit more obvious, guilt is that knotted feeling in the stomach. That nagging thought on the brain about something we've done or that has been done to us. I don't know whether you were into the series uh, recently that Jenny and I finished watching last night because I had to watch it and finish it, Line of Duty. There's not going to be any spoilers if you're on catch-up still, okay? In that program, Line of Duty, you see all these different interwoven stories of guilt as things that have happened or things that have been done to people kind of play on them and they kind of try and act out in different ways to try and get rid of and try and be free from the guilt that is overhanging them. Guilt is so much more than an emotion, isn't it? Sometimes guilt is over relatively small things. Did I really need to shout at my child quite as loudly as I did? Did I really need to buy that extra pair of shoes? But guilt can be entrenched with far bigger things too, family breakdowns, decisions made in younger days, things that you've said or done to people in the past or even things that have been said or done to you. And that guilt can be like this. It could be like one of those great big solid long metal chains and it can kind of hang around us if we're not careful and can kind of start to really limit our movement. It can really start to feel like we're kind of walking through life entrenched by something like this. Guilt can be like a serious anchor around the waist of life, that kind of constant dragging down of emotion and feeling. But this book that we've been talking about this morning so far, this book that some claim to be dusty but really is alive, in here we see what God has to say about guilt. The verses will be on the screen. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 7, see this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. We'll explain about that in a moment. Hebrews 10 verse 22, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. These verses tell us that guilt can be eliminated from life. The effects of guilt can be eradicated. In both these verses, it's speaking about personal guilt The things that we've said or done or thought that have brought us into conflict with others and in turn conflict to God. Every one of us stands with an imperfect record of attitude and of behavior. That's no big surprise for any of us, I'm sure. But because of our imperfection, we cannot be in union with a perfect God. But that is what we're supposed to be. That is how we as people were created. That's how we've been designed. And that's in part why we feel guilt and why we feel shame. In the first account of humans in the Bible, in the the narrative of Genesis, we see Adam and Eve as a result of sin, sin being an action or attitude contrary to God's way of doing life. Their response is guilt. They know they've done wrong, and as a result, shame takes over and they hide behind clothes. They hide behind a bush so that they're hidden from God, or so they think. And for many of us, the same is true today. We hide behind busyness, or we hide behind possessions or position. And sometimes that's a willing thing. We intentionally ignore God, and sometimes that's just involuntary because we don't know God. It's true for Christians. Those of us who also go to church regularly. Those dark corners of our lives, those intentional behavior patterns that we know are wrong, but we're we're not quite willing to allow God in. So we hide behind bushes, we delete our internet history. We hide behind our clothes of acting on one way on a Sunday and different for the rest of the week. But also for some of us who love Jesus, some of the guilts of our past, they just keep pushing us back. And we keep pushing them back, and we know that if if we allow those guilts to come to the surface, it's really going to hurt, because it's going to change. It's going to mean that we're going to change. It's going to have to mean that other things might change. And we just rather kind of push it down and just say, I will ignore that for the moment. But I'm hoping that for you, you can take courage from these living words of the Bible. John chapter 8, verse 32. We've already read them. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. John chapter 8, verse 36. So if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. But if you're here today and the words of Jesus are not a regular part of your life, if you wouldn't say that you're a disciple or a follower of Jesus, the words are still true. An encounter with Jesus this morning can mean that you can be free from the scars and pain of guilt. If you just try and do it by yourself, it's just going to feel like this. You're just going to feel completely weighed down and laden down. But if the Son of Man sets you free, you will be free indeed. An encounter with Jesus will mean that you can truly escape guilt. There are countless books, countless self-help guides that you could look at and study and read. And some of those things will help you for a time. But really, truly, honestly, eternally freedom from these things can only be found in Jesus. What I can say with full confidence is that healing the scars of guilt comes through forgiveness. At the root of breaking out of guilt, there needs to be forgiveness of yourself, of other people, and ultimately by God. Jesus is the truest and best source of forgiveness. We'll talk about that in just a moment. His death and resurrection nearly 2,000 years ago is the ultimate source of eternal forgiveness and freedom from guilt. As we lift him up in our lives, he can eradicate the scars of guilt. They can be taken away entirely. And we'll talk about just exactly how in a moment. But before we get on to that, I want to introduce my first prop, a thick wooden plank, Will. Where's Will gone? Will, sorry, I Will. Sorry, will the thick wooden plank, if you wouldn't mind, just over in the corner. That'd be great, Thank you. Just a little joke, will. If you could smile and look vaguely interested, that'd be helpful, will. <laughs> tough, tough, tough morning. Okay, driven from Plymouth, will to be here. That's all I'm saying. Now, will has before you a torture board. This uh, is a one that I made. It's uh, made it in BNQ, from being Q wood. Uh, the little eyelets as well, available. That's, that's lovely, will. I'll just get out of the way. People need to see me, star of the show, and. Uh, Will there has a torture board, it's just a, a, tr- a prop that we made, but is based on a, a replica that you would have found, indeed, in medieval times. What happens is this, the person would have been uh, trapped against that using chain or rope with no possible means of escape, and then basically things would be done to them that are not pleasant. Some of that element is what's going to happen this morning, but not all of it. But Will here has my torture board, and guilt... And hurt, as we're going to be talking about now, freedom from hurt, guilt and hurt are both tortuous feelings. Pain and hurt can accumulate over the years. Things that have been said to us, things that have been done to us, can imprison us and leave us feeling like we're in a prison of pain. That pain may be physical. Maybe you're here this morning and you're long-term sick, an illness or an injury you've had for many years. And like this kind of chain that we've already spoken of, the illness, just like the guilt and hurt, actually kind of restricts you and restrains you. You you can't quite do what you've always wanted to do, what you've loved to do. Well, actually, you can receive freedom from pain and freedom from sickness in the person of Jesus as well. How can I believe in a God? Maybe that's what you think. How can I believe in a God when I suffer or when my friends suffer? It's a really good question. And a friend of mine who's suffered with a long-term illness and sickness, been in and out of hospital, faced death a number of times, still a, a young man in his mid-twenties, he had a, 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 has a life kind of debilitating disease really in condition. And his friends used to say to him, how can you be a Christian? How can you follow Jesus when he's done this to you? When you're sick like this, how can you say God is good when he lets you suffer like this? And his reply To them, astounded me, it still does whenever I read it. He says to them, you say, how can I believe in God when this happens to me? But I say, I don't know how I could get through this without God by my side.' It's a matter of perspective. Actually, God can give hope in the middle of hurt. Revelation chapter 21, verse 4. There will be, ultimately, no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. Exodus chapter 15, verse 26. For I, God says, this is his name, telling you what his name is, I am the Lord who heals you. This book of truth that we've looked at this morning tells us that God can take away pain and hurt be it physical pain, be it emotional hurt, God can take it away. Now, I'm hoping I'm not sort of painting a picture of God as some kind of wonderful genie that we kind of go, well, here's my problems, God. If I become a Christian, if I follow you, everything's going to go swimmingly. It doesn't go that way. That's not the way it is. God promises simply to be with us in the storms of life, but that we know that we can always count on him that we can always trust Him, that we can always rely on Him, that even when things are tough, He is there with us. He is gracious and kind, loving and very generous. God's want is that you can be healed from all pain. One of the marvelous things we see as we look in the pages of the Bible is the reality of who Jesus is. He wasn't some first century hippie who kind of floated along the ground, kind of going, peace and love, man. That's not what Jesus was about. Jesus, at at, at a funeral of his friend, wept. Not only at the loss of his friend, but he was weeping because death is not a part of God's plan. Sickness was never a part of God's plan. Hurt and pain was never a part of God's plan. That happened as a result because people did stuff wrong. Sin, as a result of sin, sickness and pain and hurt and death arrived. That is not God's plan. And that is not God's eternal plan. God is going to restore that which was always intended. That there would be no more hurt or pain or sickness. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus had compassion on people. He cared for the widow and the orphan. Those that society pushed to the outside, he welcomed to the center of his friendship group. He hung out with the dropouts, the down he lifted up, and the oppressed he released. Jesus' heart is one of freedom. And that's what this torture board represents. Phil, can I borrow you now, my friend, please? Phil and I have met at least twice, so Phil knows exactly what's going on. Now, what's going to happen is this. Will, I cannot stress this more importantly to you. Hold on to the board. Do not let go. Okay? No, don't let go, Will. Okay? I know I was rude to you, and I apologize for that. I really do. Okay. (laughs) Phil. I've got to get this right. No, Will. Hold this. Hold this side. Phil. In through number one. Out through number two and so on and so forth until you get to number 16, okay? So, gets a bit noisy at this point, forgive me. I right, say, Will, you must hold on to the board, Will. Will, hold on to the board. It's quite a long chain, hold that. Just remembered I normally just put that last little bit through there, it's a bit quicker then. Okay, right, Will, tell you what, let's just go right back against here, there we go, right. Okay, Phil, three's there and then it goes up to the neck, dangerous bit. Will, seriously hold on to it, okay? That's all I'm saying. Now, we're talking about the pain and we're talking about the hurt. (laughs) Talking about the hurt. (coughs) Will, hold the board. One job, Will. Not that hard. Hold on to the end, Phil, don't let go, okay? Remember, on a time limit, gotta get to a second meeting. Okay, Will, hold the board up, Will. Good lad, okay. Now, We're talking about hurt, and we're talking about pain. We're talking about the pain that is caused to the sound engineer when this happens next to a microphone. Okay, now, this is the very dangerous part up to the other side of the neck. This is the very dangerous part. It is possible at this point for someone to black out if the chain gets pulled too tight. Phil, just saying, not saying it happened in Cup doing an event, my friend thought it'd be really funny to pull this extra tight at that time. It wasn't as funny at the time. Okay. A little bit tighter. There we go. Okay. That's fine. Really is fine. Okay. Down to the wrists now. and we'll see what happens. So we're talking about pain and we're talking about hurt. The reality is that for many of us, we live with pain and we live with hurt. Why is everyone taking the children out at this point? I don't understand. We're talking about pain and we're talking about hurt. And we talk about the fact that, so often in life, we live with those things all the time. We live with pain because we, just, we kind of just get used to it. The pains of the past, and then the otherest. We talk about the hurts of the past, and that's where we sort of go, that, but that's, that's really where they happened. They happened in the past, and that's where we leave them. But actually, if we're not careful, those hurts and those pains, those feelings of guilt, can do what this torture board is starting to do. It starts to really restrict your movements, it can really start to limit your life. But the Bible, if we remember what those verses say, in John chapter 8 and verses 32 and 36, down to the ankles now, it says this. It says, if you know Jesus, he will set you free. It says, when you lift up the Son of Man, you will be free indeed. You will know that I am the truth. It says, if the Son of Man sets you free, you will be free indeed. So here we are. We're in this moment now as the torture board gets really tightened up. I' was doing an excellent job. It's pretty very good. Okay. Doing really well. Down to the ankles. Doing well. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's quite tight. And it starts to really restrict and restrain. But as we talked about, we say those verses in the Bible, it says that when the Son of Man sets you free, you'll be free indeed. There is a way to escape. Don't pull too tight. There is a a verse that says, as the Son of Man sets you free, you'll be free indeed. There is a way to escape from this torture board. You'll be glad to know. Otherwise, this is a rubbish trick. I'm going to basically wriggle around from here and just see what I can do to get out of it. There is a way. I could teach you how to get out of this trick. I could teach you how to get out of this torture board. But actually, those other things that we talked about, those other pains, those other hurts, just around the shins, those other hurts, those other pains, those other feelings of guilt sometimes we can kind of <laughs> push them down to one side. Sometimes we can say, "Well, that's, that'll do, that's enough. We can cope with that." But actually, they still are there. And particularly when it comes to the feelings of guilt thank you very much. OK. then up to the last one, up to the chest on the other side, round the front, or well, I've left, in the, left the right. And then the padlock across the front.) There we go. Around my barrel chest, Phil, if you don't mind. Padlocks on there, that's it. Nice and tight. We got it? Cool. Then nice and tight. Oh, yep, that's actually really quite tight. Okay. (coughs) Just you have left the key there, haven't you? No, leave the key. Don't call me. That's fine, that's right. It's just a joke, Phil. Okay, Phil, hold the other side of the boards. Phil. Okay, Will, hold the other side of the boards, hold it nice and tight. Okay, here we go. So there is a way to get free of this board, as you're hopefully about to see. Boys, it's really important you hold the board. I cannot stress that more importantly at this time. Are you holding the board, Phil? Yeah. Are you holding the board, Will? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> here we go. Ah! 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 Remember expensive microphone? Ah! Ah! Strapped in my eyebrow. Ah! 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 Nearly there. Ah! Oh I've lost a shoe, never mind. Ah! Oh i lost another shoe. Ah! Ah! Nearly out. Yeah. Yeah. This is the moment I normally figure out I've got a second meeting to do in a moment as well. <laughs> Thank you very much. Actually, if you take that with you, you can go and take that away. We'll get in the car next meeting. Now, as I say, there is a way to escape from that torchboard. I've just shown you how to do it. But ultimately, those feelings of guilt and hurt and pain leave us imperfect. And those imperfect things means that we can't be with a perfect God. So how do we overcome that? How do we overcome that barrier? Well, that's why we need the infamous and a famous prop that has been much talked about. This here, it is a guillotine, just checking. X-factor moment. Now, for many people, fear, fear is the number one crippler in their lives. It's not about hurt, it's not about guilt, it's actually about fear. Feelings of fear can restrict and restrain you. In particular, one fear grips many, fanatophobia not the fear of claims but the fear of death death of course one thing shared by all people one day of course we all will and for many that's a thing to be feared how will it happen when will it happen will it be nice will it be not nice and those things often can be crippling as we look to the future actually we can be crippled in the present as well as the things that have happened to us in the past But the life-giving words that we read in here are words of life and hope, words of joy and words of courage, things that are the opposite of fear. Some of these verses that we can read in the Bible, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. The fear of the Lord leads to life. That's a right fear, not a fear of being scared, oh no, there's big God, but a right sense of awe in this wonderful, awesome, powerful, mighty God that we're able to know because of Jesus. Genesis chapter 26, verse 24, do not be afraid, for I am with you. And all of the promises we've read here, all the promises we've read on our previous two screens, they're all backed up because of one reason and one reason alone, that when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. What Jesus was talking about in that moment was his public execution, a moment where he was paraded before the world, and in a moment he received death. Three days later, he received the gift of life. Why is that important? Well, I'm going to tell you a story, but first of all, I need a willing volunteer. Now, I asked Richard earlier on. I so, said, Richard, is there anyone here who might be able to help? And he, he gave me a name of Vicky. Now, I'm not, sure, I'm not sure if there's a Vicky here who might be willing to help. Um, uh, Vicky, is it you, Vicky? Vicky, lovely to meet you. I'm Simon. Do you know Richard at all, Vicky? Very well. Very well. <laughs> it's possible I may have just made a bit of that story up, Vicky. Okay, right. Vicky, if you could just um, kneel down there and just stick your, your head in there, really. Yeah, don't worry about the leg. It's fine. Yeah, worry about the leg. That's right, Vicky. Yeah, take your glass off. Don't worry, you making a spectacle of yourself. Now, okay. You've oh, ch- quite a chunky neck for a bird, actually, haven't you? Okay, now. It's just a joke. Keeping. Richard's actually taking a photo at this moment. <laughs> now just check it's all in there. Will you just yeah, keep looking down. It's just otherwise just it's fine. you, sh- you shouldn't shouldn't feel anything. Can you feel anything? Yeah. Oh <laughs> I'm sure it'll be fine. Now, I want to tell you a story before we begin. The story of the grandson of Louis XIV. He of Versailles fame, but not that anyone in church watches that. Uh, Louis XIV's grandson, Louis 16th, came to power really at the wrong time. The world was in turmoil. The nation of France was quite literally at the polls. Hmm, something's never changed. And in those moments, Louis XVI basically was made the scapegoat. He was made the object of anger for the French people, who basically said it's all his fault. And so he was executed on January the 20th, 1793. And as he put his neck into the blade of the guillotine, just as Vicky willingly has done, this was his last words. Vicky, you'll get your moment in a moment. I die innocent of all the crimes laid to my charge. I pardon those who have occasioned my death. And I pray to God that my blood, just speaking of which, just put that in there. Just, just mops up anything a little bit too. I know Matt's not here, but, you know, I want to make sure the carpet stays nice for him. And I uh, just need this as well. Just put that in there. Just Yes, about right. Just, just, just keep looking in there. It just makes the head travel in the right direction. Um, his final words, that's a good laugh, his final words were this, I die innocent of all the crimes laid to my charge, I pardon those who've occasioned my death, and I pray to God that my blood may cement your happiness. They're powerful words, very powerful words. You've just got to get some carrots as well, just keep your fingers out of the way, otherwise I'll call you stumpy for the rest of the afternoon, okay, just put those carrots in, oh, wrong hole, honestly, I do know what I'm doing, honestly, I'm really good at this. Yeah, it's fine. I lost my no-claims bonus last week. <laughs> I used to practice this on my baby brothers and sisters. They're now living in different parts across the country. Okay, so. <laughs> just a joke, Ricky. Just a joke. Okay, now, we're just going to just, um, just, just kind of helps, helps the blade travel through in the right direction there. So, Louis Sixteenth, his final words. I die innocent of all the crimes laid to my charge. I pardon those who have occasioned my death. And I pray to God that my blood may cement your happiness. They're good words, powerful words, moving words. But Louis was as guilty as you and I of living a life that is self-focused about us. But when Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't the nailing to the cross, it wasn't the flogging, it wasn't any of those things that killed him. Ultimately, he chose to give up his life. And in that moment, he said this, it is finished. And with those words, Jesus died. I think it's all right. I think we're okay. I think we're fine. The blade is up. The carrots have been chopped. And Vicky hopefully returns from the dead. Cool trick, huh? Jesus' death on the cross, being 100% man and 100% God, means that his death was sufficient. The Bible tells us that anyone whose record is stained needs to die. But because Jesus died, the punishment is paid. Because he rose again, he fulfilled every promise that is made in Scripture. He promises that we can be freed from guilt, that we can be freed from hurt, that we can be freed from pain, and we can be freed from fear. Because if Jesus is alive now, we can know him and be with him for all eternity. So here's the question. What's your response to that this morning? Can I ask everybody, please, just to close their eyes. This is the moment that, as we talked about and shared this morning, you know and you've realized and begun to understand that that is the truth of what Jesus has done for us. And this morning, you want to hand in your life. You want to hand in a life that you recognize has been lived for you and not for God. A life that leads ultimately to separation from God. But you want to live a life that leads to community with God. Friendship with God now and for all time. Because Jesus died on the cross, your punishment has been paid. Because he rose again, you can know life in all its fullness and life eternal. And if this morning you want to know what it means to be forgiven by God and enjoy life with him for all time, then I want you to pray this prayer along with me very quickly and then we'll be done. And then I'm going to ask you, when we've prayed that prayer again, with everyone's eyes closed except for mine and the leadership team here, I'll ask you just to stand, and then I'll ask you to sit again. It just shows that you're serious about this with God. Here's the prayer. Just pray along with me in your own heart, just quietly, one line at a time. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for what I've heard today. Thank you for the message of life. Thank you for the message of freedom. Today, I choose the freedom that you have for me. I choose not to live my way anymore, but to follow you. Thank you for dying for me, Jesus. That all of my wrongdoing can be forgiven. That I can receive a new start and a new life in you. Help me now to live life the way you've always intended for me now and for all eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Please, everyone, keep your eyes closed. It's really important. If you prayed that prayer, I've got my eyes open. I'm going to ask the eldership team to open their eyes now. If you prayed that prayer along with me for the very first time ever, you've never prayed a prayer like that before, could I ask you if you have the courage to stand where you are? So everyone keep your eyes closed, please. It's just really important that we just do this. If you prayed that prayer along with me and you've kind of you prayed it before, but you know you've actually lived a life away from God of late, but you know today you wanted to really reconnect with God. Could I ask you where you are just to raise your hand, please? Just so that we can help walk with you as well. Okay, hands down and just sit down. Wonderful, let's open our eyes. We're all still here. Fantastic. Guys and girls, thank you so much for being with me. I'm going to hand back over to the guys here and run. Bless you. Thanks for having me. Appreciate (laughs) it.